You know, many of us who are graduating this year have had the opportunity or the misfortune, depending on how you look at it, to debate topics within our fields of study. Whether it was debating the merits of Paul's idea that we are all saved by faith alone versus James's statement that faith without works is dead. Maybe debating the merits of an estate tax during an economics class. Or even challenging one another on the merits of common core curriculums in an education class. Debating is something we have all done during our time in school. Those who are graduating from high school this week have probably had the opportunity to debate a wider array of topics that in some cases they were more passionate about, and in others, maybe they could have cared less. Debating is not something that's new to the church either. During my time at Wesley Theological Seminary, I experienced more than my fair share of classroom debates. During some of those debates, I was engaged, dropping theological bombshells on my opponents to the point where they were unable to recover. And in others, I was completely disengaged, like a high school senior during the last few weeks of school. In our scripture reading this morning, Paul is responding to a debate. There was a lot of confusion in the early church about who was in and who was out. It was obvious to Jewish Christians that they were in. They would simply acknowledge Christ's Messiahship, then follow his teachings, and all the while continue to follow their Jewish law. The problem, however, lied in those pesky Gentile Christians who were outside of the Jewish community. Gentiles were those who did not identify as Jews, and as the first disciples began to gather, the question of how do those who are not Jews follow Christ became an issue. Earlier in Paul's letter, chapter 2, verse 3, we see Titus, a Gentile, not feeling compelled to be circumcised. Circumcision was literally an identifying mark of being a Jewish male. The issue at hand was not a moral issue. Circumcision was not a way of establishing, establishing salvation by good deeds. Instead, it was a mark of who you were as one of God's chosen people. Before, Paul had gone over this topic again in Romans chapter 3. And as we read in this chapter, and even as we read throughout the rest of this Letter, we can sense Paul's growing level of frustration with the church. Paul was trying to articulate that the barriers that had been set up between Jews and Gentiles because of Christ's life should be broken down. As we read these letters today, we notice that as quickly as Paul was tearing down these barriers, the church of the first century was building them back up. What divided Jews and Gentiles in the first century anyways? Specifically, it was works of the law, living a life that was organized by religious law that had once been handed down by God. The law was something that had been handed to to Israel from God as a way to not only separate Israel from the rest of the nations surrounding her, but also to order the religious life of the Jewish people. The law was not so much about getting in, but rather was about knowing who was in. 
The law is something that we see extensively throughout the book of Leviticus. Over 70 times, actually. And here are a few of the hits. Failing to include salt in offerings to God. Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13. Failing to testify against any wrongdoing you've witnessed. Leviticus 5.1. Touching an unclean animal. Leviticus 5.2. Carelessly making an oath. Leviticus 5.4. And here's a few that you might not have thought of. Letting your hair become unkept. Leviticus 10.6. Tearing your clothing. Leviticus 10.6. Eating or touching the carcass of any seafood without fins or scales. Leviticus 11.10-12. Eating any animal which walks on all fours and has paws. Which is good news for cats. Leviticus 11, 10 through 12. Going to the temple or church within 33 days after giving birth to a boy. Leviticus 12, 4. Going to the temple or church within 66 days of giving birth to a girl. Leviticus 12, 5. Spreading slander. Leviticus 19, 16. And last but not least, trimming your beard or cutting your hair at the sides. Leviticus 19, 27. This was Jewish law. So the debate remained. Should Gentile Christians be forced to follow the same laws that were prescribed for Israel? Or the same laws that Jewish Christians had been following? We are in the midst of my favorite time of the presidential election cycle. Debate season is here. As someone who studied political science in college, worked on a Senate campaign, and even organized a Senate debate, this is my favorite time in the political cycle. Debates are an opportunity to lay out exactly what we believe about a particular subject, and then outline in a polite manner, polite is underlined here, why our position is the strongest. Well, debates on the national stages do not always appear to have candidates who are interested in actually engaging in that polite debate. Debating is a great way for us to determine which beliefs, ideologies, and other strongly held opinions are our strongest. You know, we live in a world today where debates have the ability to go from fun, lighthearted engagements to cage-like ma- cage match-like fights where the only way to claim victory is to beat your opponent into oblivion. Debates are where we once listened to one another, hoping to form responses around our opponent's words and not 140-character social media blasts. If the early church was a place where leaders were not sure who was in or who had to change certain aspects of their life before being recognized by God, is it any surprise then that the church has been debating doctrinal statements for centuries? Is it any surprise then that the church today is still debating? One of the church's first apologists debated the destiny of those who had yet to be evangelized. Justin Martyr argued that God is drawing people into the divine presence even if they had yet to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. The same debate has recently re-sparked as celebrity pastors and authors try to articulate to the church today who's in and who's out. Equal standing within the church 
between men and women is something that our denomination did not address until just 60 years ago. And some would say that we still have work to do. This debate was going strong in the 16 and 1700s as Margaret Fell Fox was bankrolling the Quaker movement, all the while not having full standing in the very community she was funding. The balance between poverty and consumerism is something that the Orthodox Church wrestled with in 398 AD as they got a new bishop in Constantinople. He said, So many poor stand around the church, and though the church has so many children and so wealthy, she is unable to give relief to even one poor person. Even today, determining how much, determining how to balance our own comfort versus the needs of the most vulnerable, vulnerable people in our community and world is something that the church is wrestling with daily. Who do we help? How much help is enough? Those questions fall onto our own desires to purchase new cars and homes and to spend more at Starbucks in one week than many in the world make in one month. Finding balance in the midst of debate is something that the church has been wrestling with for millenniums. I do not think that we have adequate time this morning to address, to address all those debates I just outlined, but Paul does address the issue of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Paul lays out what has happened and then what that meant for Jewish Christians, Gentiles, and even us here today. Verses 19 and 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, Christ's faithfulness redefined what it meant to be the people of God. It isn't our own faithfulness to God, but instead God's own faithfulness to us that rewrote the book. No longer are we bound to works of the law to be justified or be made right before God. No longer is there a checklist of things that we need to do to earn favor from our Creator. Through Christ's own faithfulness, we can experience the grace and love of God. Even in those moments when we are not necessarily living up to the example laid before us by Christ. Works of the law cannot justify us any longer because God has chosen to redefine what it means to be a people of God through the faithfulness of the Messiah, Christ Jesus. In any good debate, though, the question of why is addressed. And Paul does so next. First, because Christ came for all people, his faithfulness as the Messiah cannot be limited to Israel alone. Christ's faithfulness extends beyond the temple. It extends beyond the church. It is now irrelevant if you are Jew or Gentile. Christ came for all, and his faithfulness redefined what it meant to be God's children. Second, the purpose of the law was to reveal sin, but to, but to the individual committing it as well as the community around them. Because Christ dealt with our sin on the cross, works of the law will never be able to justify us before God. Through our baptism, we die to our own selves, and we are reborn into this new identity defined by Christ Jesus himself. His faithfulness to the point of the cross has ended the division between Jews and Gentiles. His faithfulness ended the division between us and them. 
Christ's act of self-giving love changed everything. Through all of this, our status as members of God's family is defined by someone who loved faithfully, even in the midst of our sin. So today, Christ then calls us to understand doctrines and law through the lenses of love and grace. Whenever we begin to debate in the local church or in the larger arena of national and international denominations, at the forefront of our conversations and disagreements should be and must be the love and grace God offered to us through Christ Jesus. In Abraham, God established a family, and what mattered then was who belonged to it. Christ's faithfulness, even to death, ensured that all would be included in this family, eliminating the debate of in and out, and replacing it with a statement of love and grace. I offer it to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.